This is the Kingdom Movement Podcast, a place where we will explore through conversation how discipleship, theology, and community really can transform our world. Hey guys, this is Jake and Paulo back with another episode of the Kingdom Movement Podcast. Yes, welcome back. <laughs> We're excited to have you guys. Um, so I did kind of lie, not on purpose or intentionally, um, when I said the last episode we were going to start our biblical story series. But basically we've been recording all these episodes kind of over the winter break here and some of them have been out of order and blah, blah, blah. Long story short, um, we had started recording the biblical story series um, and really diving into kind of the detailed story of the Bible. Uh, but we really felt like before we did that, before we really just started, you know, uh, head first into the biblical narrative, we wanted to maybe do an episode on like um, the practical, very basic understandings of how to understand and read your Bible. Because I think a lot of people, they open the Bible and it's really complex. There's a lot of weird stories in there. There's a lot of sayings and phrases that uh, are very foreign to our own world. Uh, we live, a lot of us, in a very uh, globalized and uh, digital age. None of that existed in the Bible. So anyways, it creates all sorts of challenges when we read the Bible. And so we kind of wanted to make an episode before we start diving into the story on just how to read the Bible well. And so I think one of the, the first things that comes into my mind when I think about people struggling to read the Bible or even thinking that you have to study the Bible in its context, which we'll talk about in a second, um, as like a way to understand the Bible, people maybe recoil at that because if you are a Christian, you believe that um, the Bible is inspired, it's the divine word of God. Oftentimes when we use the phrase word of God, what we really mean is the Bible, um, then we maybe walk in with this assumption that like, if it's God's word for me, then it should automatically make sense to me. Um, but in reality, as we'll kind of talk about this, that's not how the Bible works. That's not how any ancient literature or any literature at all works, because really the author has an intent and it doesn't really matter how you interpret that intent in the sense of like, we have to understand what the author really meant. Whether you're reading a fiction novel or, you know, a newspaper ad, every author, every writer has um, an intentional purpose for the piece that they're writing. Mm -hmm. And so the Bible's the same way. The authors wrote these stories, wrote them in the way that they wrote them, um, organized them in the way that they organized them to make a point or points. Um, and so kind of what we want to explore this episode is, okay, that may seem really overwhelming. The Bible's a big book. Where do I start? What are some simple tools that I can have to approach the Bible and read it in its proper context, right? So, Paulo, you came up with a ton of good notes for the show. And so I just want to maybe read one word for word to give the reader um, an outside of it. Because so we have to take the Bible as two parts, right? Inspired by the Holy Spirit but also written by human beings. Yes. Human beings wrote these stories in a specific context, in a specific culture, 
in a specific um, time. You mm-hmm. get what I'm saying? Yeah. And so we have to understand that culture, that context, that language. A language is a totally another layer added to this because, believe it or not, the Bible was not written in English uh, in its original. It was written in ancient Greek and Hebrew. So that's a whole other layer, right? Because it, I think most of our leader, re, listeners, not readers, most of our listeners live in a, uh, a dual language context. They're English and Setswana speaking. And so they already have an advantage over a lot of American listeners because a lot of American listeners only have one language, English, myself included. So when I started learning Portuguese, it helped me understand the Bible in a new way, biblical translation, because there were words in Portuguese um, that couldn't just be translated into an English word. You either had to use a phrase or, and vice versa, right? And so sometimes um, when translating the Bible, it isn't just about like, oh, in the ancient Hebrew, they said, you know, I don't know, knife. And knife is exactly the same word as um, knife in English. Maybe the literal translation is like thing that is used for cutting. And that's what you would have to say in Hebrew. Um, anyways, we're getting off in the weeds a little bit and we'll dive into that aspect more, but here's the, the quote that I want to circle back to. So one of the most important aspects of the human side of the Bible is that in order to communicate, um, his word to all human conditions, that is God, God chose to use almost every available kind of communication. So that's narrative or story, history, genealogies, chronicles, laws of all kinds, poetry of all kinds, proverbs prophetic oracles, riddles, drama, biographical sketches, parables, letters, sermons, and apocalypses. So those are all sorts of um, literature categories or ways of expressing. So like, for I think for probably most of our listeners and myself, like when I read the genealogies in the Bible, I'm just ready to like move on and skip yes. that. But like to the, the Hebrew listener, that mattered because as we'll talk about the family of God, those genealogies told us where, or told the ancients who were reading those stories where they came from and where they were going. But uh, let me let you jump in here, Paulo, and maybe share some of your thoughts too. Yes, uh, I definitely think this is like one of the biggest problem with the Bible. I, I'll say problem, I don't know. But the biggest struggle as a reader we have with the Bible because uh, I feel like I... I have decided to read the Bible, like the whole Bible, I think like for three times before I I made it, you know, for three times I would say, I'll read the whole Bible. I'll start from Genesis, you know, and read and then get to Leviticus. I'm like, what is going on? You know, and just like take so much time there and then end up just giving up on it, you know, because I didn't understand all this, you know, why there are a bunch of names and this division, you know, and everything, you know, so I just feel like, People get to Leviticus and they just start like, what is going on? What is this book telling me, you know, and why do we have all these things? So I just feel like once you understand why we have all these things in there, you know, and understand that this book, it's not just um, a book that was given, that was given like, hey, this book, is, uh, it's for you, it's for this context and everything, you know, but it's a book that from that context that we kind of have, that it's very, very, very applicable to as today, but it was, you know, written for a specific context. And God chose to tell this story, you know, through those people, through those contexts, you know, so that it can affect us, influence us today. And one, one big, one, one, one thing that I wanted to share is a story uh, about one of our friends. Um, 
the person went and read the Bible. Well, the person I, I feel is one of these persons who really question things, you know, really mm -hmm. question things, really question the Bible. And then that person, um, it's not familiar with the Bible and all these books and everything. And then the person went ahead did really a lot of questions about the Bible. And I just feel like Holy Spirit led that person to a specific verse passage in the Bible that answered those questions. You know, the person didn't know, didn't even know what is the book of the Bible, what is what is the name of the book of the Bible, just called it, you know, the book of Solomon and everything, you know. But the person found an answer to their question, you know. So I just feel like the Bible has these two sides, you know, in the sense of you can go there and then you will find an answer to, to, to your questions really, really well. But also, you know, there is this aspect that once you start to dive deeper, you know, you try, you start to understanding more, to understand more and kind of have a little bit of closure with a lot of questions that we have. Yeah. So that's why I like this, this passage that uh, you, you just read. Yeah. And I think maybe to give us some good building blocks to work on. So we're going to talk about um, basically two ways of how we can read the Bible and then apply it. But I think there's a few ground rules that we have to lay down to understand what exactly is the Bible. So first and foremost, the Bible is an ancient document, right? Written over a period of like 1,500 years. So mm -hmm. you're not just talking about, you know, a 10-year period where the culture is the same, even from Genesis to the time of Jesus to the, the letters that Paul writes, right, in the early church. The culture is completely different, yes. right, that these people are living in. They've had totally different experiences. And like kind of what we talked about, God works through the cultural lens of the time. It would make no sense for God to speak to Moses or Abraham through a 21st modernist yeah, worldview lens. Yeah, like it just doesn't make, he wouldn't even know how to comprehend that, right? So if God started telling him about airplanes and helicopters, it's like, there's no box to put that in. Just like we have no way to put a box of like the future innovations that could possibly happen, yes. you know, 2000 years from now ourselves, you know, we just don't know. There's no way for us to comprehend it. So with that being said, in order to understand what a certain biblical passage is actually saying, we have to, have to, have to understand the context in which it was said. So like the example that I can think of is when Paul says, I permit no woman to speak, mm. right? Um, and I believe it's Corinthians, the book of Corinthians yes, or Timothy. I know he no, says something. Oh, yeah, he says something. But I think the famous one, I think most of yeah. churches or communities he uses Corinthians. Yeah. So in our if we just read the Bible, at let's say face value, putting it within our own cultural context, it seems pretty easy. OK, women shouldn't talk in church. You know what I'm saying? Um but the actual context in which that passage is said is a bit more complicated. So I believe it actually might have been Timothy because um, the reason why I'm saying this is he's writing to him in Ephesus, right? And in Ephesus, there's the cult of Artemis. Well, the priestesses of Artemis are only allowed to be females, okay? So they are the religious leaders of that cult, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So in a context like Ephesus, a cultural place where females are the ones that lead religious ceremony in the church, there is going to be those cultural expectations or cultural, what would you say, norms within the church context. 
So Paul may be saying women quit trying to dominate the conversation and allow men to speak into religious matters. You know, I'm not saying that we can 1000% say that's exactly what's going on in that passage. But by understanding the cultural context, it completely changes the meaning from Paul just didn't like women or didn't Mm -hmm. think women should ever lead or talk about the Bible to is there more going on here? And I think the Bible is riddled, you know, full of those moments just Mm -hmm. like that, that if we just take them at face value and take them as we want to, then we're going to come out with a different meaning than what the author originally intended. And it's really important in order for us to actually apply it the way that it should be applied for us to understand original meaning. You know what I mean? And yeah, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, uh, as an African person, you know, that's one of the biggest struggle I think we have uh, in most of our churches, at least in Mozambique. And I, f- I find it a little bit here too, like in the sense of, I just feel like some leaders, you know, church leaders, you know, kind of select you know some parts in the in the in, in the bible you know to put it practice it just literally you know and uh, i remember in my church there was this rule rule that you can't uh because i think it's yeah i think it's back in exodus or something like that the bible says you can't you don't cut your your head okay, your yeah. hair your hair round you know so you couldn't do some they would just mm. kind of give you a hard time if you do some kind of like shave style. the sides basically. yes shave the sides and leave or the top and that's what i do every <laughs> single time you know yeah. so i remember being part of of my church uh theater you know uh yeah group so we would have to you know do some uh scenes for for christmas you know and everything and whenever that happened because our boss is one of those people who would say you should never have this kind of haircut so we all had to like kind of get the same haircut you know okay nice everything. so you know just coming from that context you know and just yeah. people who do that but i just feel like most of the times it's because of this uh misreading you know mm. misunderstanding of the bible and i don't know if you're gonna mention this and i just feel like um I like this book that I'm reading and the author says, um, let me just, they, it's from Gordon Free and uh, Stuart something. It's how to read the Bible. Um, and they, 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 they kind of says like most of, um, most of um, bad ideas, you know, um, I'm looking for the correct word. You know, like, for example, like Mormons, uh, okay. uh, heresies. heresies. Yeah, yeah, most of those heresies comes from this misinterpretation of the Bible. You know, for example, those people will say, oh, yeah, we can handle the snake, you know, and mm-hmm. everything. I think there's one religion in America like that. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it comes from that. And there's like when the Bible says, when, 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 when. When the Bible says, you know, you can hold on snakes and everything, yeah. you know, and then it comes like, yes, literally, that's what it means. So we will have snakes during <laughs> our service and everything, you know. Yeah. So most of them comes from that, you know, from that misinterpretation of the Bible. That's why it's so important when we do this exercise of just going back and understanding. Yeah, I think you touch on a really good point in this sense, too, that we don't have it in our notes, but I think it's really important to understand that we cannot build foundational building blocks to our faith based on one scripture or verse especially taken out of context and i think that's the problem is like the snake handling that is one kind of throwaway verse in a sea of other things you get what i'm saying so if we build an entire kind of 
religious structure around that one thing without understanding the broader context of the Bible, um, then we're always going to kind of go down some really weird paths. You get what I'm saying? Um, And so I think it's really important for us as we read the Bible not to just take verses and kind of cherry pick, like you're saying, what we want, but understanding how does this fit into the bigger picture. So there's kind of the, the original context. So let's bring it back, right? The original context, we want to find out who these people are, where they're living, what is maybe the language they're speaking. You know, this is getting really in-depth. So maybe let me back up. I think the biggest things that we want to learn is who's writing the letter, who's writing the book, if we can know. Who are they writing it to? Mm-hmm. What is the problem or the situation that they're addressing? And then what is the proposed solution in the book in that context, right? So an example would be in the prophets. Isaiah is writing to a people that are rebelling against God. They're serving idols. They're worshiping idols. He's speaking specifically to the kingdoms of Israel and Judah, right? Who are supposed to be God's chosen people. And they're disobeying, chasing after idols, worshiping other gods, you know, uh, marginalizing the poor, oppressing people that they should be helping, treating the foreigner poorly, right? So these are all the issues that are going on. So Isaiah is speaking directly to these people. You need to turn back. You need to recognize Yahweh. You need to see that, like, where this is leading you. It's going to lead to destruction, right? The judgment's going to fall because of the things that you are doing. And so... He also paints a picture of future redemption, that God, even though you're doing these things, there's still going to be a remnant that remains that God is going to push the story forward. So by understanding that context, Isaiah is speaking to a specific situation. There are things in Isaiah where he might say, you know, God's going to send an army from the north and he's going to wipe you out. That is specifically in that context. So you cannot take that verse and say, oh, if we worship idols, God is going to send an army from the north and they're going to wipe out Botswana or something. You know what I mean? But the the intention or meaning that we can take from Isaiah and apply it to our own day is to say, when we turn away from God, when we begin to worship other things, when we disregard what God's people and leaders are saying to us, it's eventually going to lead to ruin, destruction. And so we need to turn back to God to recognize that his way of life actually produces hope, justice, peace, that we aren't supposed to marginalize the poor, right? We're supposed to value the things that Isaiah is calling his own people to value, but we can't take the specific context, whether it be punishment or judgment, and just say, this is what God's always going to do. So like, for instance, New Orleans was a city that was kind of known for witchcraft and Mm -hmm. not so great things and people automatically took it as the hurricane that wiped it out as god's judgment and then basically any natural disaster that follows from that oh that's god's judgment on those people um and sometimes i think we get that from passages like this and sometimes it may that might be the case um but i think we have to be very careful about just taking what we read in the bible and always putting it directly without any sort of cultural filter on our own context if that makes sense yes um and yesterday i'm thinking i'm thinking if it's a good story to share okay but if it's not a good story if you don't hear this story then it's because we cut it off (laughs) (laughs) mid-sentence but yeah um yesterday i was going through uh internet i like to read music sometimes and then there was this news about this church that uh, were, were struck by the lightning. And then, uh, yeah, 
So what happened, the context is that church is um, LB, LGBT affirming uh, okay. church, you know, and then it got hurt by this lighting and it started burning. And then I went through the comments and everybody else was just saying, oh, this is a God judgment, you know, through all those things and everything, you know. Mm. So I just feel like that's 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 actually what happened. You know, every time we see things that we don't agree with, you know, and then we just see something uh something supernatural something that we can't control you know happen to that thing we always tend to go there like mm-hmm. oh, yes this is the judgment and this is the thing you know but and but most of the times when we look like um yeah when we look most of the stories that we we're talking about that we we're quoting it's something that really happened that actually happened during that time you know something that the, the prophet for example from the, from isaiah you know he said that and those things happened you know and everything so it's just like kind of like this wrong uh application of this uh this context yeah and i think as well you know we have to filter everything even the person of yahweh in the old testament through the person of jesus jesus is the as the bible says the full revelation of god right and so when Jesus says, love your enemies, right, um, sometimes we kind of glaze over that then when we think like, okay, yes, maybe Jesus doesn't agree with an LGBTQ affirming church, but does that mean he's going to strike it with a lightning bolt? You know what I mean? Exactly. So anyways, I, you know, these are tough questions. They're not easily answered, yes. I would say. But I think the main point is we have to first understand what the passage is saying in its context, and then... Um, we can begin to apply it to our own day. We, we can get the meaning behind the context. Um, so I think the next step is to understand that the Bible is not a moral handbook. So it's not something that you can just open up and say, like, here are the rules to life. There are things like that in there. So we think the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is presenting a totally new way of being human to his contemporaries, right? Um, and that actually, we'll use that here in a second as a great example. Um, so there are morals in the Bible, but the Bible is ultimately a story, a love story uh, about how God is bringing creation, which he intended for good um, and has fallen into evil, back into redemptive renewal, restoration. That is the story, right? And so there are, I, I, what I guess I'm trying to get at is, we can't necessarily say just because um, Abraham or David or Moses or name anyone in the Bible did this, that means God affirmed what they did. So a big time or a big aspect of this is like polygamy in the Bible. So a lot of the patriarchs had multiple wives, um, but nowhere in the Bible does it say that God affirms polygamy. It never says that God says yes. Uh, Abraham, you should marry Sarah and then also marry her. In fact, God oftentimes, he doesn't maybe directly say, no, this is wrong, but he opposes what hum- human beings are trying to do through mm. building those relationships. You get what I'm yes. getting at? Uh, for example, I think the big example, it's the, the example of um, Solomon. I think we'll we'll talk about this in yeah. the, when we we get to kings, but uh, the big what I'm why am I mentioning it is because uh, Solomon is just this person sometimes like get quoted by this person of having a lot of wealth and everything you know and kind of a free uh, like kind of a way to defend a polygamy you know but the Bible kind of puts him to compare him to 
was that they they the pharaoh you know mm-hmm. they got the the way the bible describes solomon you know with all these these wives that he had is to compare him to to pharaoh to say that this guy you know went far off you know uh, what god really wanted him to do that he became just like those other kings around him and then that leads up to all his sons you know coming up and just like doing all these bad things and then it, it ends up with the division of the of, of of israel you know and then all those bad things you know so it kind of a lead it, it leads there you know so mm-hmm. it kind of but then you can that what we do today just take that to defend like oh yes you can have multiple yeah. lives so I think, yeah, the Bible is not just a book that you can take these small antidotal or short stories and make a moral lesson out of them. There are moral lessons in them, but in reality, it's a story about what God is doing and where God is taking history. Um, in a cultural context, aspect of that is before the Israelite people, cultures thought in a circular worldview, meaning everything was in a cycle. Just like you look at nature, right? We have the summer, the spring, the fall, the winter. They believe that like history wasn't going anywhere. You know what I mean? It was one just big cycle of ups and downs. And so it didn't really, a lot of ancient cultures didn't keep histories because they didn't matter because those histories were just going to repeat again. Whereas with the Israelite people, um, God was doing something new where genealogies mattered. That's why they wrote down genealogies because to them, history did matter because history was going somewhere, right? So that is a cultural context that we take that for granted because I think almost all of us think in a linear way of history now because of the biblical narrative. Um, another aspect, so we were talking about uh, taking things in their culture. So when Jesus says, um, you know, turn the other cheek or carry the, the cloak, or not the cloak, but the stuff an extra mile, these are direct references to things that were happening in his own day. So to basically slap someone across the face was to put them in a minority, or not a minority, but a lower position than you, to shame them, essentially. And I think that fits really well in an African culture, that shame, right? To show everyone who sees you hitting them that this person is beneath me. But to turn the other cheek forces that person to recognize you as an equal, um, and so it is a way of being nonviolent, but still not just rolling over. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So you're not hitting the person back, but you are forcing them to recognize you as an equal. To carry the extra mile, Romans were allowed to force anybody to carry their baggage for a mile. But to carry it the extra mile was not only to shame that person, right? To show them what they're doing to you, but also to be an act of love towards that person so it's a it's an aggressive way of loving someone and bringing them um over to your side in a sense so what the reason why that matters is that is cultural context Mm -hmm. by just reading the bible you may go like oh i just need to what jesus is telling me is i need to carry my friend's backpack to school every day and it's like that's not necessarily true he's saying who are your enemies in your culture who are the people that are mistreating you and how can you you know, in a sense, fight back without violence. How mm-hmm. can you love them into coming to your side? Mm-hmm. So that's going to look diff- totally different in your context, potentially. And I know we've talked about this guy a couple times, but like Desmond Tutu in South Africa, whatever you think about him, like he used nonviolence and forgiveness as a means of trying to reconcile two broken sides of a community. And so he saw in the teachings of Jesus 
what he needed to apply in his own day because that kind of racism wasn't necessarily the issue of Jesus's day but the the solution was the same right so that's kind of the stuff that we're talking about that you have to dive a little bit deeper maybe that feels overwhelming to you um, but we want to give you a few tools to help I, but before we dive into the very specific tools that we can kind of do this is there any other thoughts feelings that you have about uh, what we need to understand as a framework yeah i just have this funny story <laughs> so i was i was in uh johannesburg airport i was going to german for work and <laughs> so i'm sitting there you know just waiting for my fly and everything and then i just see this group of people you know who are waiting for someone who was coming flying you know, flying it was going into joe back and then the, per- the plane landed and everything so the the guy and his wife they are coming to this group of people and he just goes straight to this young guy and they just kisses him, you know? <laughs> <laughs> literally yeah. just kissing his lips and then he goes to another guy kisses his lips and then i was shocked i was like what is going on there you know <laughs> Because he had his wife and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't think like probably yeah, know, yeah. all those things. So I was like, what is going on and everything, you know? And then um, I feel like a few months ago, there was this really big story that blew up of these uh, pop, pop, um, not pop, not pop, of this uh, father, uh, Catholic church. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so he was smooth, like <laughs> kissing this kid, you know, and everything, you know? Okay. And then... Everybody was just judging him here to yeah. make a public uh, apology. apology and everything and all of that, you know. But in Bible, you know, it kind of talks of holy kisses, you know, and yeah. everything, you know. So it's just like, uh, are we going to take that and do it right mm. and do it now? In this context where there are a lot of conflicts, you know, there are a lot of things, there are a lot of people will come and judge you, come and say all these things. And there are all these bad things happening, you know, people yeah. using those cases, you know, to do other things and everything, you know. So there is that too, you know, there is that debate. Like, are we, are you going to start kissing everybody in church, you know, because the, the Bible says holy kiss or you're, you're mm. going to say, oh, we're going to shake hands, you know, instead yeah. of, of... What is the way that you show affection in your culture? Brotherly or sisterly affection? Yeah. So, yeah, I think, again, that's a great example. People take that as, oh, as Christians, that means we have to kiss because mm-hmm. it's in the Bible. But what Paul is saying in his context is show affection towards each other that's appropriate right yes. that was appropriate in his context but what is a appropriate to show affection in america versus africa versus europe versus asia may be different mm-hmm. but the church should express that affection yeah. in that way that fits us. that's a great great example so as you were talking i did think of two more things so we talk about understanding biblical context mm-hmm. right knowing that it's a story not a moral book like a a moral guidebook or life book, if that makes sense. I think as well, we have to understand, we touched on this, the language. So we have to understand that this is a translated language. So that means that it, some of what we read, if we're not reading in the ancient Greek or Hebrew, is left up to the translator to decide what is being said, right? So just like you know, as you've done or if you've ever translated in church from English to Setswana, when someone uses a word, you have to decide what you're going to use to describe that. And it becomes even harder when you start using picture language, right? Like mm-hmm. I remember in Mozambique specifically where we were told, keep it as simple as you can, because if you start using a lot of metaphors, 
a lot of imagery, that's not going to make any sense if literally translated. So the author, or the translators rather, have to take what the author is saying, understand the context, and then kind of spit it out in English in a way that makes sense to us. So that's where you can get things like um, the King James Version, mm-hmm. which was written, I believe, in like 15 or 1600s. Um, it was written for King James, you know, in England. Um, but now, fast forwarding in the future, we have new manuscripts, especially if you've ever heard of the Qumran. I won't get into that. But there is a whole treasure trove of manuscripts that actually dated further back than the manuscripts that we had um, previously, like with the King James. So when you open your Bible, and maybe you'll read in John, the woman caught in adultery is the story a lot of people get up in arms with. It'll put in brackets, not found in the earliest manuscripts. That means the earliest copies we have of the book of John do not have that story inside it. So it might be likely that a scribe, someone who translated throughout history, added that story in or it was found in some manuscripts and not others. And we'll do a whole episode of like, what I'm maybe you like are listening. You're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I thought the Bible was just a book we always had. We'll talk about that in a maybe a different episode. But anyways, the translators get that information and then they have to decide what they're gonna do with it, right? There's certain phrases, um, and so it's not that the translator is like, oh, we want to take these things out of the Bible. It's like, no, we have new evidence or new manuscripts that help us make a better decision on what this actually means and i think that's why newer translations are not a bad thing because even as time moves on english changes right and so the meaning of english words i don't know if they use gay as happy in the king james version or not i think they might actually because that meant happy in you know old english but now if you read gay in the bible you would be like what do you mean solomon was gay you know what i mean like Someone who has literally no understanding of what that word previously meant could be super confused by that. And so new translations have to come because even the language that we read it through is changing, right? Um, And so all that to say, we have to understand that the Bible is written in language, in culture, and that has to be translated for us if we don't know the original language. And so we have to be willing to maybe look at different versions and sometimes different versions seem like they're saying maybe different things mm-hmm. and that's partially because of the translator yeah yeah uh, that makes so much sense uh, one other example is for example uh i don't i don't think people from this generation uh well you guys were way more developed than than than, than mozambique but when i i was growing up like when i was like five six and everything uh, we didn't have electricity, okay. you know, so we use candles, you know, we use lamps, you know, but I just feel like now if you talk about those things, people are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. This thing that you have to open and put uh, gasoline and then light it on, isn't that dangerous and everything, you know, mm. but so people wouldn't understand that, you know, but kind of like back there, they use using the word lamp, you know, it would be perfect because we kind of understood what it mm. means there but now maybe you need to use the real word you know like torch, torch you know for yeah. example you know because yeah. it's what people know and any place it kind of it does the same thing you know a lamp that yeah. you know you do so it kind of like these things like you are a lamp unto my feet you're like well what does that mean you're a torch for my feet in the dark of night right well we know what a torch does mm-hmm. yeah i think that's a great example and some people might recoil at that 
Um, and I think that's why it's good that we have word-for-word -word translations that like give us the original yes. words even. But I think it's important too that people have a translation that is easy for them to understand that it isn't like coded language. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where people get hung up sometimes is they feel like they have to read a specific version, um, even if that version doesn't make sense to them. Like before the Protestant Reformation, like the Bible was only allowed to be in Latin, even if you couldn't understand Latin, mm -hmm. as if that was the holy language or something, you know what I mean? Um, but in reality, like that is one of the good things about the Protestant Reformation is it brought a lot of, you. sorry, you could read the Bible in your own language. But the side effect of that, and maybe we can get into this a bit more, is now everyone can have an opinion about what the Bible says. And that's, it's not a dangerous thing, I don't think, in the sense of, I think it's good that everyone has access. I would rather have everyone has access rather than only a, a certain few. But the problem then becomes anybody with the Bible um, can just kind of pick and choose whatever they want. And if you, you can easily do that with the Bible. You can take a verse out of its context. You can take a verse out of its historical understanding and twist it and make it be whatever you want it to sound like, mm -hmm. right? And there's a lot of that. And it it can create this confusion and maybe almost like this disheartening feeling of like, well, who do I believe, right? Like, I want to believe Jake and Paulo or I want to believe my pastor or I want to believe, you know, the, the big time evangelist that I hear, but like, I just don't even know anymore. You know what I mean? So I think what it comes down to is we have to do the work right in order to understand the bible we have to do the work for ourselves or we will always be dependent on other people so i'm i won't say his name but i'm really really proud of him we had a student just literally had this conversation yesterday um and he'd come to me and basically um some people came to his door and said they wanted to start a bible study right and uh, come to find out they were jehovah witnesses and so he talked to me about it and at first he seemed really excited because he had been praying like no, I wanted to get over the break more into reading the word and like um, just growing in my faith. And then these people came and like, oh, this seemed like an answer to prayer. They're going to help me do Bible study. Um, but I had a conversation with them. I'm like, you know, normally, bro, I don't care about denominational differences, but these guys are a little bit more of a red flag because there's kind of some key major differences that they believe. And I could tell he felt a little bit discouraged after that conversation, mainly, I think, because he felt like it was an answer to prayer. And now, was it not? Well, when he came to have a conversation with me uh, yesterday, he wanted to talk about it again. And he opened his phone. And I'm talking about, you know, paragraph after paragraph after paragraph of research that he did. He never talked to me about this to find out for himself what the Bible actually said about the differences in Jehovah Witnesses and other Christians or basically what we would believe. And so he, for himself, through research and study, found out like, yeah, there are some things that they say that just don't seem to line up with what scripture says. And that to me, like in that moment, he still felt like, oh man, I'm, you know, a little bit bummed. But I'm like, bro, like this is maybe exactly what God was using this for is because you just spent hours of research, reading God's word, learning more about the word and now you have a better understanding and you didn't need me to tell you what to believe. You went and looked it up and did the homework yourself, right? And I think for me, that was just a, a really cool moment and exactly what our response should be to questions. Yeah. Are we, you don't need to be a, 
you know, a professional religious scholar or a full-time pastor, all of us have a responsibility to to put in the homework to understand God's word if we want to take it seriously. Yeah. And like one 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 thing uh, that I I really enjoy like one good w one way that I really enjoy doing my discipleship, you know, even just like my um, doing my evangelism, you know, the the way that I really enjoy is answering people's question mm. about the Bible, you know, uh, it's just going there and just meet that person and say, hey, yeah, I'm a Christian and everything. And do you have any biblical question that you think uh, you think you have? And let's talk about it, you know, and. <laughs> Because, like, one thing that I figured is, like, a lot of people know a lot of things about the Bible. You know, they have read, they have heard a lot of things about the Bible. You know, just like, just like our, our, our that, that friends you tell, you're saying about, you know. So, a lot of people know all these things, you know. And then, because they know just a chunk of those things, you know, it kind of brings a lot of confusion to them. You know, it kind of brings a lot of confusion, a lot of frustration in everything, you know. And then most, I feel like... A lot of people that I know that kind of abandoned Christianity, you know, because of question they had, it's because of that, because they never had this opportunity to kind of dive deeper and understand all these other things, you know, that the Bible is saying, you know. Yeah. So having that way of just kind of answering the questions, you know, the person has, you know, asking questions and person, the person asks you a question, you know, I just feel like it always bring, bring some closure to that person yeah. you know i just kind of like to see their reaction you know when i start to explain kind of contextually you know what the bible is saying and everything just seeing their face kind of change like oh i've never seen this you know yeah. this way and that's what i always feel when i do in-depth um kind of reading of the bible you know because i have this idea you know i have this view of things you know but then i just kind of realize like oh this was wrong, you know, and it kind of bring closure and it kind of bring reliefs on relief on me, you know, in the sense of like, I kind of understand more what the Bible is saying. I understand more what that verse is saying, yeah. you know, because I understand the whole historical context yeah. and everything. And I can easily transport that to today and do a really good job to kind of apply it today. Yeah, I think we're in the same group when it comes to that, just what we really enjoy and what we're passionate about. Um, and I think it's huge. You know, I think, like you said, there's a lot of people that have heard a lot of different things and it can create confusion. But I think at the end of the day as well, it's really, really important um, that we don't just learn about the Bible, but that we practice it. Right. But in order to have healthy practice, we have to have healthy understanding. So, you know, if and that's where I think we get off the wagon, right? A little bit. It's like, if we believe, you know, we're supposed to literally beat our bodies into submission, like Paul says, right? Like, beat your body into obedience. Like, he's not talking about literally physically beating it so that you obey Jesus. He's saying, like, just like you would put your body under pressure, like in a sport, to to grow and to strengthen yourself, right? It's, it's gaining knowledge in order to put it into practice. So, I think what we'll do next, we're going to take a quick, short break um then we'll dive into what are the practical steps for what we would call exegesis exegesis meaning how do we learn the context of what we're reading so we'll say that from now now on the context historical literary literary context so context and then hermeneutics hermeneutics is the practice of how to put it into practice so um exegesis hermeneutics are academic terms for our sake 
even me, I struggle with these terms sometimes. We'll talk about context and then we'll talk about practice, if that sounds yes. good. Yeah. And all right, guys, we'll talk about it right after this quick break. Hey, guys, this is Jake. If you are currently a university student on a campus in Botswana, we want to extend an invitation to you to get plugged into a discipleship group. So if you're interested, if that's something you want to do, if you want to begin to be a part of this family we call Kingdom Movement, we would encourage you to go into this episode's bio. There should be a link to our Instagram page. You can send us a message, and we will make sure to connect to you at a time and a place that works best for you and your schedule for school. But we don't want you to miss this opportunity to get plugged in and a part of what God is doing on the university campuses here because we believe that you're a vital piece to what God wants to do to bring his kingdom, his wholeness, and his healing to the nation of Botswana and to the university specifically. So reach out to us today, guys, if that's something you're interested in. All right, thanks. Hey, guys, we're back from the break, um, and now we're going to dive into kind of the practical steps and questions that you can ask yourself um, and work through as you're reading the Bible to better understand it, read it in a better way to get the context. And I'm going to let Paulo um, kind of give us those steps. And I, these steps are really meant to be, there's a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton of great resources out there. Biblical commentaries, if you've never heard of that, or a study Bible, especially like a cultural context study Bible. All these are really helpful tools, but we understand like those are expensive. Sometimes they're hard to find. Again, there's a trillion of them. So it's like, which one do I trust? Which one is the best? So instead of like, you know, naming a bunch of resources that you're never going to be able to find or like are going to be really expensive, um, we want to give you practical steps that like if you picked up your Bible today, what are the questions you can ask that help you better understand what you're reading? Um, and then, you know, through relationship, especially if you're a part of Kingdom Movement, we would love to equip you with resources that we trust. Um, but really, right now, we want to focus on what can you do? What are the questions you need to ask when reading your Bible? Yes, and I think this is the best opportunity to challenge all our listeners uh, to kind of pray that maybe Kingdom Movement has a small library, you know, with most of these books so that students can go and have that opportunity. What an idea. Yes, just pray. <laughs> but yeah, Paul, that's Paul's way of saying, "Hey, Jake, we should do." <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I because I just feel like it's your dream too. I don't. Mm. I just feel like deep down there, it's your dream. So that's why I'm like, yeah, let's pray about it. Because never had the idea, but guys, you are witnessing the spirit move live <laughs> via podcast. Okay. Anyways, back to the. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Back to. <laughs> back to the podcast. Uh, so yeah, um, we. Before we went to the break, you mentioned these two fancy words, you know, exegesis and hermeneutics. 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 Sorry, he's struggling from the yes. Portuguese translation. Yes. So in Portuguese, it will be exegesis and hermeneutic. Yeah, I didn't get that. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, for our um, language that we'll use, context and practice. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So exegesis. 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 Jesus. Exegesis. 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 <laughs> It's, yeah, it's when you try to understand as much as you can of the cultural context. What was happening back in that time, you know, and what are the, what are the culture back in that time and what make, what made them uh, write this book and everything. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, so in this, 
in this process there are kind of like three steps that i would say you kind of have to pay a little bit more attention on the first is like the historical context in like what was happening actually in that time you know what are the big movements or big things that were happening actually in that time uh, and that lead into writing yeah. these these so passages. a great example for jesus if you're reading the gospels like who are the romans like why do the jews not like the romans mm-hmm. or like or even at a baser level the romans seem to be oppressors okay that's important to know jesus and the pharisees seem to be at conflict about certain things yes. okay so that's a group that I need to pay attention to. And, you know, it seems like, okay, there's these certain themes that I'm picking up on. Like, taking those into consideration as you read the story. Yes. Not just being like, oh, yeah, Jesus argues with the Pharisees and now that's over and now we're moving on to the next thing. Yeah, and I feel like the good thing is uh, once we start uh, the biblical uh, yes. podcast, I think that will also give you a little bit of context on yeah. that so yeah just we'll touch on that maybe at the end of the episode yes um but yeah so you try to understand that and i feel like there are a lot of free resources out there you know to kind of understand that if you want that yeah. you know. uh, one major one that we would recommend bible project uh it's great it has videos podcasts whatever you want really our biblical series i feel like for me at least was kind of based off of what bible project does but at like a thirty thousand foot view bible project they're like why did the Jewish people wear sandals and how the sandals had it? You yes. know, we're not we're not trying to go that level. We're trying to give more the big overarching story, but they are great for like the little and the big kind of context and themes that are going on. Then it, yeah. So yeah, and this part you understand the geographic of that part, you know, mm-hmm. the topographical of that part and also kind of a little bit of the polit- politic that what was happening politically in that part to kind of help you put you in mm. that spot you know you kind of have to transport yourself into the spot yeah this is one this one um show uh, that i grew up watching where we have these three two kids and one robot i think and that robot had like uh this could travel on time you know mm. so it would travel on time and then put them in this in this part in the bible you know it was a big christian uh, show you know, and then they oh, really? talk, yes, they were start talking about all this, you know, so the robot would take the kids to that specific area, mm. you know, and then they would follow what was happening. Oh, that's kind of neat. Yes. So that's what you do when you do that, you know, it's just kind of transport you a little bit back on that time. So that's the historical context. And then we have the literal context. And this is the, 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 the thing that I feel like you can do this on your own. You don't kind of need a lot of, you know, extra things like, um, uh, what, what how can I say like dictionary and all these things you know so here you understand you have to read and understand what uh, what is the movement of the book you know what is the book starts and what is saying to you in, in each part of the book to get to the solution or to get to the point you know so you have to be able to read the book that's why I say like if you want to do this at least this step you have to read the whole book if you can just read the whole book like once, for example, the small books like the letters and everything, mm-hmm. you know, just sit down and read it once and ignore as much as you can all the divisions that they make 
uh, I don't think we, we spoke about that, like into like the divisions that exist in the Bible in chapters mm. and everything. Yeah. Know? Oh, yeah, yeah. That those didn't exist in the original. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I kind of read the whole book, like maybe one, once or twice in different versions, you know, to kind of understand what is the what is the the writer, you know, taking, you yeah. know, how is he taking, how is he building up to that uh, solution or to that specific yeah. point? I so see. this is the literal context. So you can do that. It's really fun. I really enjoy doing this. Yeah. And I do it writing with my notes. Yeah. And there are some really good Bibles out there too that actually get rid of those um, kind of chapter and verse and make it more like a story. Um, so if you want to read it that way, there are those. If you want to fork out the cash or if you can find them. I know, again, those are resources. So I think what would be really good is let's talk about the step-by-step guide to do good exegesis mm-hmm. in hermeneutics. So we're going to actually put these steps and these questions you can ask yourself yeah. in the show notes. So, you know, you don't have to just keep coming back to this part of the podcast and listening. You can have a physical written out spot. So look in like the description or whatever. Mm-hmm. If you're on YouTube, it should be in the description of the video. But so let's talk about these steps then. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, after you understand all these things and everything, the practical way is just uh, we split this into kind of, uh, of questions. Uh, so the first thing, yes, try to sit down. If you're reading a book, if it's a small book, try to sit down and read it once. You know, once you read it once and maybe read it twice in a different version. Once you do that and then you start uh, asking you this question, the first question is who wrote this book, you know, yep. who's the person who wrote this book? Sometimes it's Paul, sometimes it's yep. uh, Solomon and everything. And then ask that question. And then the next oh, question. And I think it's important to note the reason why certain books of the Bible are called Isaiah, are called John, are called Mark, are Matthew. It's because that is typically who is seen as the person who wrote that letter or book. So um, or if it's addressed, you know, like a first Corinthians or second Corinthians, that is who the letter is addressed to. So that can help you just look at the title and say, okay, this is who it's addressing per se. You know what I mean? Obviously first and second Timothy are being addressed to Timothy. Um, so that can just be a useful tool for you to figure out. Okay. And maybe helps you understand why in the world was this chapter called this. So good. Yes. Nice. Uh, thank you for that detail. Yep. And the second question you, you you ask is where did he write this book? So that's where you get to the historical context we were talking we were talking about a little bit before. So yeah, where did he write it? You know why uh, uh, and the cultural and the historic context. And sometimes this is going to be easy, like Paul's letters to the church. Um, oftentimes he says, "Hey, I'm writing from prison," or "Hey, I'm writing from Ephesus," or "I'm writing from Corinth." And so it's easy to figure out where he's writing from. But other times you have to do a little bit more digging or research or think through. Like we don't necessarily know where Mark wrote his gospel, um, but we can know the time period, let's say, or like the cultural context. So there are going to be times that you can't answer this question, but you can at least figure out when was it written or who was it written to, obviously. Yeah. And I think this question is one of the places other than the letters like i think the letters it kind of influenced but not that much but it it's really important question when you go and read prophetic books you mm. know because some of them are writing the text d- during the exile and some yep. of them are writing the text before the exile and some after the exile i feel like that's a very perfect spot uh place to ask this question yeah uh and then you go to the next question is to whom is writing the book you know who are the target of this book? 
Uh, do you have something to say about that? No, I think okay. we touched that, yeah. Yes, great. And then the next important question is what is the main problem is trying to solve? And that's a very important question because most of the books, they're trying to target something that is happening, you know. And most of Paul's letters, you know, they're trying to target, things, to target some specific problem yeah. that is happening in there. Yeah, um, and I think sometimes even it's not a problem to solve, but what is the author trying to say? So, like, uh, a great example example would be Matthew and Luke are very similar. They actually, you know, some scholars believe have borrowed from each other in some way, uh, using Mark as kind of a common source. We'll talk about that in a future episode, maybe. But they both have very distinct themes that they are trying to say through the narrative, right? And they may even tell the same story slightly differently with this idea they are trying to get a point across. Matthew is typically seen as like trying to show Jesus as the true Messiah because Matthew is a Jew. Um, and so it's really important for him, for Israelites to, or Jewish um, Jews and Judeans to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. And what does that mean? Whereas Luke's main focus is Jesus is king of the world because Luke was a Gentile, right? And so Luke is trying to show he has specific stories that the other Gospels don't with Jesus interacting with Gentiles, Jesus showing and talking to Gentiles about the kingdom breaking in and that it will eventually reach them. So it's like understanding like those themes or even just picking those things Mm -hmm. up can help you figure out, okay, what exactly is the author trying to say here? You know what I mean? When I read a story that's in Matthew, that's not in Luke, right? So rather than being like, oh, the Bible must not agree Rather, you can say, why did they select that story to share versus another one? Yes. It can help you start asking those questions at least, right? And then maybe it leads you down the rabbit trail of figuring it out. Yeah. Yeah. And for example, like the letters of Paul, like one thing that he really does really well is, for example, the Ephesians, you know, he wants to target a specific problem and how he like... um, um, how he does that is like he start for, he start by by talking about Jesus' authority, and then he goes he start talking about um, God's authority. God, yeah, he talks about God and then Jesus, and then he, Paul himself to be able to say, hey, so everything that I'm saying comes from this, mm. you know, this line. So it's it's a very nice way to just kind of go ahead and understand a little bit of the Bible. Great. So problem to solve or problem trying to be solved or yeah question trying to be answered exactly yes and then uh the last question into this first phase which is the exegesis the cultural is what is the solution the the writer is presenting to that problem oh yeah yeah what is the solution the writer is presenting for so isaiah a great example presents to his people turn away from the idols repent repent meaning quit going the direction the way that you're going, listen to me and turn back to God, get rid of all the injustice and oppression and start, you know, don't offer sacrifices at the altar anymore, alter your hearts to God, right? That is what he is saying. This is how you fix fix the problem that's going on. I think that's a very clear, defined um, solution that the author is presenting to the people of his time, right? Yes, definitely. So yeah, uh, so um, so that's the first uh, part, which is the exegesis, try traveling to the culture, and then now you get to the second part, which is the hermeneutic part. So you the the question you ask, or for those who don't like fancy words, the practice. Part. Yes, yes, the practice part. Yes, 
Um, so yeah, the first question is, what are the problems that we have today that are similar to the problems that the book is trying to target? So let's maybe just stick with the Isaiah theme so that we have one cohesive line that we're following. So yeah, this would be like, what are the idolatrous things pulling our heart from God today? Um, a big one that maybe we don't think about is our phone, our smartphones in our pockets, right? Like how much time they steal from our time with the Lord, how we kind of go to the altar of social media and offer ourselves um, there. Like, obviously, there's plenty of what is what are the oppressions that are happening today? What are the injustices that are happening today? And how can we be a part of the solution? Because that is close to God's heart, right? He yes. sees that. How can we treat the foreigner better in our own context? You know, um, those are all the questions that Isaiah can stir in our heart that then we can take into our own world. Yes. Nice. That's a great example. Um, so, yeah, they said the, the, the next part, uh, the next question is how can this solution help to save to solve the problem that we have? I jumped the gun, didn't I? <laughs> I started giving examples of how we can take yes, this. Solution. Yes, you, but you did a little bit. But yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing, right? Yes, like, exactly. OK, so Isaiah presents this is what you do in order to counter your idolatry. And so, like, we don't like the word repent, maybe, but it's like, what are the things in our own lives that we need to kind of turn away from and turn back to God? So um, that's just one aspect of the prophets that we can take and apply to our own lives. Yeah. And then I have the last question that is really connected to that is, how can I put this in practice in my community, in my life, but also in my community? So I think a great example maybe is like, okay, in your... Um, family, right? Maybe there are certain practices, ways that you talk to each other that don't honor each other. Um, you can allow the prophet Isaiah in his correction to the Israelites um, and the things that they are doing to help you bring transformation in your family. Maybe you put your phone down at dinner and you decide, hey, we're all going to spend time together and we're going to worship God together. You know, it doesn't have to be even that spiritual sounding, I think. But um, or how do you organize your community Here's a bigger scope. How do you organize your community to solve um, or to try and solve the homeless issue? You know what I mean? In your town or your city or your village or your wherever. Or how do you help with, uh, you know, the lack of food or the the increasing, di uh, what would you say, distance between the rich and the poor? You know, all yes. these are ways that you can practice the prophet Isaiah. But then, you know, let's take it down to a practical Jesus level. It's like, Okay, what does it mean to love your enemies, right? You may not be, and we're not talking about North Korea here, right? We're talking about um, the person at school or work that drives you crazy. Like, how do you love that person? Yeah. Um, because it's going to look different than carrying their bag or, you know, turning the other cheek per se, because they're not actually physically hitting you. Um, but yeah, the, all these are the questions that we can ask to get us thinking mm -hmm. in the right direction. Yeah, Paul says, talks about the holy kisses, you know. Uh, <laughs> 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 oh, yeah, so. That was the bless, y'all. Yes, <laughs> that's a holy kiss from Jake. <laughs> so yeah, uh, he talks about that. And then like, um, wh why is he talking about this? What is the purpose of this is to show affection, you know, mm -hmm. and then uh, what is problem how can we do that today you know shake hands give hug and all these things you know so yeah uh and i feel like once you start doing this 
uh, you if you do it with the whole with all books in the Bible, you might start your own Bible commentary. There you go. <laughs> so I think to wrap this up, because I think we've gone pretty long already. Um, so kind of the heart behind why we want to do this next series. So I believe it's going to be anywhere from eight to nine episodes long. So it's going to be a journey, but I, honestly, I'm super excited about it is to help give you guys a tool. So yes. the main purpose of the this, we're calling it the biblical story series in this podcast, um, is basically to help go through chunks of the Bible to bring out major themes, um, to talk about, you know, like the major characters of this story, right? Mm -hmm. To essentially take the Bible from just this kind of maybe seemingly incohesive, scattered book of random stories and help paint a picture of like, no, this is one narrative going in a certain direction. Um, so essentially what it is, is we want to create a tool for you guys to be able to use as you read your Bible, that when you pick up the book of Joshua or Judges and you start reading some weird stuff in there you're like oh okay I remember in the podcast series they talked about these are some of the themes of why this is happening and I can understand that okay this ties into the story of Abraham and it even is looking forward to the story of Jesus right um, so that's really a major reason why we wanted to do this series um, <laughs> my wife has told me several times that it might be a bit dense it might be uh, a bit uh uh, not heavy is not the right word, but uh, if there are things in there that maybe feel complicated, we really tried to simplify it as much as we can with still pulling out context and talking about some of the details. Stick with it, you know. You don't need to every understand everything in one get go. Don't feel like this is something you need to grasp tomorrow or do perfectly, um, because I think Paul and I would both say we've on, been on this like biblical study. For years, yes, for decades, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I did not learn all this in university, right? Like, it took years and years afterwards of mm -hmm. just personal study and interest to get to even the knowledge point that I have today. And I very much have to still go back to people who are much smarter than me mm -hmm. to continually learn more. And it's always a journey of learning because we don't, none of us have all the answers. Um, and so I would just encourage you guys, if you feel like this is a real struggle for you, like it's hard for you to grasp the Bible, you don't like history, um, context is boring to you, like I love context, so to me I'm like, what, what are you talking about? But I understand that there's some people that really struggle with that. Um, just start simple, right? Yeah. But I just would really encourage our listener, don't, um, just because it's hard, make the excuse that you don't want to learn more about the Bible in its context. Um, because you're always going to read it at a very shallow surface level. And it does work to just take your finger and point at a verse sometimes. But that's not how the Bible, it's not a magic book. You get what I'm mm -hmm. saying? It's not something that you can just open up one day and then you should just get an answer like a magic eight ball you shake. And then the, the answer that you're looking for comes up. You have to understand what the Bible's saying. And the more you consume it, the more you get it inside of you, um, and the better you understand it. Um, those answers are going to be in there and the Holy Spirit can help you recall them when you need them rather than feeling like you have to frantically flip pages to, to find what you need. Um, so yeah, anyways, to bring it back um, and maybe round up this episode, uh, the biblical series is basically a start of we're going from Genesis all the way to Revelation, painting kind of these themes of what is the Bible saying? What is it about? Um, 
why did God need to send Jesus? Why did he need to die on a cross? Why did God choose this family with Abraham? You know, what is the creation narrative talking about? And all, all the in-betweens, right? Um, as much as we have, we're going to tap our knowledge source and tap our resources to try and give you guys um, a, a palatable <laughs> experience yeah. to understand the Bible and hopefully help you along the way understand it a little bit more. Yeah, um, yeah. I just feel like this is a very exciting thing. I feel I feel like I just kind of doing all this, you know, on the Bible, and I just really hope that we transmit that excitement, yeah. excitingness, excitement, excitement. What? Is that the, is yeah? That it's word? the right word. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. To all the readers, you know, because I just feel like the Bible. It's very, very amazing book uh, that you can really read and just get really excited about about this book so yeah that's that's what we, we will really try to do and yeah to invite you to this party to invite you to this uh celebration you know uh of understanding the bible yes so guys tune in next week and we will start our biblical series we'll dive into the book of genesis all the way up into the call of abraham yes. so really excited about it hopefully it becomes a tool that's really useful to you um and encourages you to read the Bible for yourself to, to get hungry for God's word. So until then. Yep. Bye. Bye. Hey, everyone. This is just a brief reminder that if you've had a question come up from this discussion or you just have a question in general that you want to ask us on the podcast, uh, now is the time to do it. We want to make sure that we get these questions in for the end of the season Q&R uh, and we cannot wait to hear your guys' questions, to read them, and to be able to respond. But we can't do that unless you send them to us. So make sure if you're a part of Kingdom Movement already, you can personally message us your question. Or you can send them via our Instagram. And we will make sure to read those. And hopefully we will answer your question on the season finale question and answer, uh, question and response episode. All right. Thanks, guys.